You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Thanks for downloading this episode. However it is you found this podcast, I'm glad that you did. And if you've got any questions for me, you can go to the website, NowhereToRunRadio.com, which is kind of a hub for all the different podcasts and, and websites and projects that I'm involved in. So let's jump right in. I've, I've got a few show note type things that I think you might be interested in. There's two new documentaries that have just come out from some filmmakers that you may know and, and like. Keith Thompson, or Keith Truth, has just put out one. He has is calling his Word of Faith Teachers Origins and Errors of Their Teaching. And it's a good one. He's got another one coming out pretty soon, I think, uh, The Refutation of Catholic Doctrine. That'll be an interesting one because I know he's been working on it for a long time and has been doing interviews. In fact, I think he started working on it, I mean, it's been at least two years ago because he at least was doing initial research for it back when I was doing the Apostolic Succession debunked video that I did about Catholic doctrine and also the interviews with Richard Bennett, the former Catholic priest that I did. That was at least, you know over two years ago, so he started it quite a while ago. So, But that's it takes a long time. If you're going to do something like that, take on Catholicism's doctrine as a whole, it's a very difficult situation. I, I tried in the past, some of you may remember, to do a... I was going to do something on... Um, the Jehovah's Witness doctrine. And I spent, for me, it was just about two months of research on it before I realized, okay, this is going to take like my lifetime. If I, if I want to do it to the degree that it should be done, it would take a lot more time than, than just a few months to put it all together. Because those issues, the cults, like uh, you know Mormonism and things like that, that requires generally, in my in my opinion, it re- for for it to be really effective for those people coming out of the cults, you need to it needs to be ministries that are involved in that. And I think a lot of people are called to those ministries. People that have come out of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or what have you, they are called to kind of go back and and explain things to them. Those are always the best people. And oftentimes you you may be in a similar situation where you've been called out of some sort of deception. I heard from uh, um, a brother recently who had come out of uh, a particular uh, doctrine. The uh, eludes me right now. The A Course in Miracles, which is a, a New Age doctrine. It's a but it's a particularly detailed one, and it really requires somebody that's been there and believed. Uh, all the teachings to go back in there and help people. It really requires somebody with a that has dedication to it. So that may be you. And and sometimes, as, as in my case, it wasn't a big, you know, cult or organized group so much as it was one particular or a few particular people, like David Icke or or Zachariah Sitchin and those kinds of things. So so that might be something to to consider. That your your ministry field might be those those people the very same types of people that you um, that you once were involved with and just a just a thought another documentary that has come out from a, a filmmaker that you may know is Elliot Nash he's the guy who did Zeitgeist Refuted Zeitgeist Refuted Final Cut and some uh, subsequent movies that have been really good he's got a few documentaries going right now as far as I understand it but this is one of them called Church of Tears purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive, church growth, and the New World Order. So that's a long title, but you could probably find it by just typing in Church of Tares, 
T-A-R-E-S. Another show note item is I just published an article on ancientaliensdebunked.com on the blog section called The Age of the Sphinx, Colin Reader versus Robert Schock. This, I've discussed on this podcast recently, the the Sphinx erosion issue. So this is sort of the culmination of a lot of that research. I've done a lot of research since that podcast, and it's a lot more coherent. As many of you know, this podcast, Nowhere to Run, tends to be a place where I ramble a lot and say things with a lot of ums and you knows and don't really get it all together that well. And I think, you know, I, I don't, I'm hesitant to sort of put another stake in the sand and say, I'm going to do things differently from now on. But I really do want to do things differently with this podcast. I want to uh, put them out more frequently and have them be more helpful. I want them, the goal of this podcast from now on to be something that helps in some way, helps people somehow. And whatever that, still the basic theme of the podcast will be the same. Whatever it's on my mind for that week will be what ends up on this podcast, but I'll try to be a little more focused in, in how I, uh, and how I present that and try to do a little bit more prep before I jump behind the microphone and just start talking. So anyways, so this article is something that is kind of a part of my new desire to be more effective in that I recently talked about all the different projects that I wanted to do and realized I'm never going to be able to do all these projects, but what I decided that I would do is get good at writing articles and, and, and making myself sit down and, and, and write an article. Like the Sphinx issue has, a, if you ever read this article, it has so much information and it took a lot of research to put it all down. I could have easily turned this into a big, long thing, but the challenge was to condense it all, to put it in one small form, and to do it relatively quickly, to sit down and, and write the thing instead of trying to make it a big, long project. Like, I've got one. The next kind of article that I want to do is about the Sabbath and the covenant, and and I could easily turn that into a great, you know, year-long documentary or whatever. But I think what I'm going to do is just do the research, try to condense it in my head, and get it in an article. And, of course, the article, once I have an article, I can turn it into um, a, a movie or a video, rather, and and a podcast and the rest of it. But it, the hard part for me is to take the information and then just force myself to write it in an article form and do it rather quickly. So it, it, it cuts a lot of these massive projects that I wanted to do into day or week projects. So that's hopefully I'll be able to get a lot more done and a lot more content out that way. So anyway, back to this Sphinx article. I talked a lot about this already on, on a previous podcast, so I won't go into it much here. But if you are interested in the Sphinx debate, that is, whether the Sphinx is eroded by water, and as the story goes, the only time that it could have been eroded by water is 10,000 years ago, therefore the Sphinx is 10,000 years old. That's the, the general line that is sold, but it is not true. The, uh, the, the, it's a lot more complicated than that. I just won't go into it right now. So if you want to, you can go to ancientaliensdebunk.com on the blog, and I will probably put out a podcast on this pretty soon as well so stay tuned to the ancient aliens debunked podcast or the chris white everything feed podcast both of which are available on itunes and will have that podcast another podcast that will be on that one either the ancient aliens debunked or the everything feed is one that i'll be recording tomorrow an interview with dr michael heiser who appeared in the film and as many of you know him already 
He has just re-released his book, The Facade, so we'll be talking about that. And it's an excellent book. If anybody is interested in it, you can go to, I think it's facadethebook.com. It is a page-turner. It's like... um. It's like a doctrinally correct Da Vinci Code meets Andromeda Strain meets uh, SitchinIsWrong.com. But it's really good. They, I was, I, To be honest, I was, it was like one of the few things of Michael Heiser's that I haven't read, and I was not expecting it to be very good. I was just like, okay, this is his attempt at a novel. But then it was like, wow, this is a, it's really the other way around. This is a great novelist's attempt at scholarship. So I, I highly encourage people to check it out. It's available at his website, or you can get a. It's on the banner of my website too, so you can go to that as well. Uh, it's on a banner rather. Um, moving on, a few other things that may be of interest to you is Watchers Five. This is L.A. Marzulli's DVD project. I was actually I went out to Los Angeles and and appeared in this DVD. I was this is I mentioned it previously on a. Uh, on a podcast that I went out to to Los Angeles to do this, and uh, I was basically the the skeptical voice to the Planet X or or Marshall Masters uh, version of events. So much stuff is going on good with the Sleep Paralysis Project. I'll just really briefly uh, go into some of it. The automated process of the sleep surveys. Remember, I had like thirteen hundred or so very large entries from sleepsurvey.org that I needed to put into Excel, uh, thanks to really just a godsend of these folks and friends. They have uh, they have automated that process for free, and basically, instead of taking months and months, it's taken just a few days, and still waiting on a few aspects of that. I've, I've been really excited with the research. Some really cool breakthroughs are, are going to happen with that. I'll talk more about that, I'm sure, in future episodes. Um... But I wanted to mention in that I'm going to be starting a sleep paralysis podcast really soon. So stay tuned for that. I'm sure it'll be on the Chris White Everything feed if you want to take a look at that. Daniel chapter 3. This is now the fourth installment of the study of through Daniel on verse-by-verse Bible teaching. That's been a consistent thing that I'm going to try to do every week, rain or shine. We'll see how that goes. But so far, it's been going pretty good, and I've really been uh, having a good time doing that. So check that out at Verse by Verse Bible Teaching or on the Everything feed. And a few other things here. Skeptic Magazine. I mentioned before they had me write an article about Ancient Aliens Debunked. I heard back from them recently, and they're considering having it as a, a cover story. So that should be pretty pretty cool if that works out. Uh, still doing promotion for Ancient Aliens Debunked. I've got... Some pretty cool radio interviews that may or may not go through, so I don't really want to talk about them. But if they do go through, it'll certainly be certainly be a great thing. So so keep that in mind. And finally, just I'll mention this for you music fans. I found a really cool band that was just sent to me by a friend. I posted it on Facebook. And they are called The Followers. And uh, their their album here is called Wounded Healer. And it is unbelievably good. I mean... Wow, it's really, really good. I, I'm sort of a music snob, and maybe it's it's my kind of music or whatever, but it's really good. So you can check that out. The link he sent me was thefollowers.bandcamp.com, thefollowers.bandcamp.com, and there you can listen to what seems like the whole album for free, and uh, you can buy it there as well. So, Okay, so what I wanted to talk about today was joy, and... 
I know that the word joy is defined a whole lot of ways. If you look it up in the dictionary, it'll just basically describe happiness. And I'm not really talking about happiness. Uh, joy is about the closest word that I can think of to describe what I'm getting at, which is an underlying contentment or, or peace, a sense of purpose um, that that may surpass and often surpasses any feelings of happiness or whatever else is going on on the outside. For example, one could be suffering or mourning on the outside, but yet also have what I'm calling joy on the inside. And I may or may not be correct in, in saying that that's what's being spoken of in the Bible when it talks about, for example, the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit, of course, the second one is is joy. That is, if the Spirit is in us, it will produce the fruit of joy. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are not producing the fruit of joy. And it may be that they're not converted, that they're the reason that you're not seeing any of the fruit of the Spirit is because there is no Spirit. Perhaps there was a false conversion uh, of some sort or whatnot. But it could also be that that there are some issues that are hindering that joy that the, the Bible talks about at length. So I want to talk to to everyone about that, as I know that there are a lot of people out there that are not not having that kind of contentment and peace on the inside, and that may genuinely be uh, looking for it. I think that's who I'm really trying to talk to, is the people that want to be on fire for God, want to have that kind of underlying peace, but yet don't. And no, they don't. That's who I really want to talk to. And that's why I started the recent series on Revelations Radio Network Weekly about joy. And I will continue to add sermons and sermonettes to that so you can uh, go to the Revelations Radio Network for for those and you can find them there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read two lists. This first list is a sort of pro list, things to do uh, to get joy. This is from the recent sermonette I posted on Revelations Radio Network Weekly. And the other list is things that can steal your joy, so a negative list. And then I want to talk about um, what I think is really at the heart of, of these issues of joy and, and how to get it, regardless of if you're uh, saved or unsaved. The answer, in in some senses, is the same. You know, people will always say, well, okay, we need to read our Bibles and pray. You know, that's sort of the Christian answer for everything. And it's 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 a good answer. It really is a good answer. But the problem is sometimes we really don't want to. And if we if we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and go and read the Bible, even though we don't want to, it'll just be like a work for us. And that does us no good. Let me first just say, I really think that that is, it's your Bible intake and the intake of everything else is one of the things that you can do and it may be your particular lack of joy. I mean, look at your life. How much have you been reading the Bible? And, you know, you are what you ingest. Have you been ingesting TV shows, movies, uh, Internet, YouTube? What it, what has it been that you've been ingesting? And if it's something that's terrible and awful and, and worldly, you really shouldn't expect to be to be feeling all that great in terms of what I'm talking about, this underlying peace and contentment. I did a podcast recently where I talked about the Christian life not being automatic. That is, you can't just coast and expect to just, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about salvation here, 
I'm talking about your joy and your peace and contentment and sense of purpose and and love for God. All these things won't just grow automatically. We need to ingest good things. And, and may, maybe for you, it, it might be some good material. That is, good books. Old, old Christian books are a lot better than new Christian books, it seems like to me. Some of the old stuff like George Mueller and Hudson Taylor, I always mention. But that kind of stuff. But But also, of course, the Bible itself, and I would encourage people about this. Sometimes it's not just about reading through the Bible. It's about why you're reading through the Bible. It's, it's, it's seeking the person in the Bible and trying to learn about him. Not, and it's also, let me just mention a few different things while we're on this subject, because it is so important. It's also that while you're doing it, you can, can communicate with God. I mean, the Holy Spirit in you is talking with the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. And it, sometimes it might not even be, be about what you're reading. You know, you might be reading a story that's somewhat unrelated to the issue that you're being worked on about. Sometimes I keep a notepad next to me while I'm reading the Bible, just in case I'm being convicted of, of something I need to do or somebody I need to forgive or something like that, or just whatever it is. It's good to have that notepad because it seems like you get a lot of um, good ideas about how to 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 better your life and spiritual life and and other kinds of ways as well. And in addition, the Bible itself claims on so many occasions that it is the agent of your growth and development. It is the Bible claims to be a supernatural book that does something to you and makes you grow, it makes you uh, be fruitful. I'm thinking of the psalm verse, he meditates on the law day and night, is like a tree planted by rivers of living water, uh, who bears fruit in its season, and his leaf will not wither, and everything he does will prosper, and so on. There's so many verses like that. I did a video recently called Why We Should Read Our Bible. It has a lot of these kinds of quotes from the Bible itself, as well as from... Um, as well as from other people. You can read Psalm 119 to get more information about that. Also, the book of Proverbs talks about how reading the Bible will keep you from all kinds of different sins. I think the quote is, the Bible will keep you from sinning, and sinning will keep you from the Bible. And that is one issue that we need to, that we need to deal with. The idea of uh, when you don't want to do something is a great time to do it. Oftentimes, if you can just make the time and go and read the Bible, um, then you will find, hey, this is actually pretty pretty good. Um, I've just forgotten how good it is. So I want to encourage people about that. It could be as simple as Bible intake. Um, what are you ingesting? Also, doing what God has made us to do is another one on this pro list. This is talking about your purpose. And I think a lot of us, this is... We are people of purpose. We really, really like purpose. There was a study done recently about what makes employees do the best work. And one was a sense of autonomy, you know, not really having anybody telling them what to do. And one was being knowing that they were good at what they were doing. And one was the, the, probably the most important was this one, having a sense of purpose, uh, something bigger than than just, you know, work for their for their work was was what it was. So there's a worldly understanding of this too. And God has given us all different gifts. We're not all evangelists or teachers or 
helpers or givers or all the different things that are listed in the Bible. And I think that's important, that whole idea that we're not all hands or we're not all feet. Because sometimes I think that we feel that if we're not an evangelist, that's sort of the idea. Well, now you're saved, you'll be an evangelist, so go out there and do that. But that's really not what you're good at. You're good at something totally different. And it's not really even about do you have any talents or, or whatever. But I do think that we all have purpose. And it's not about how much you know, people you can influence with that purpose. It's not about the degree that you influence people. It's that you are using it. I think that's the important thing. And it may not be something you can do immediately. Maybe it takes some steps for you to get to the place where you can use it to God's glory. But even if it's something like dance, can you dance to the glory of God or or you know what I'm saying? It's everything. It's painting. It's art. It's the highest and greatest expression of all art is that it glorifies God. And that's one thing about Christian music that uh, I lament at is that here we are. We have the greatest opportunity to glorify uh, God. It's highest and best use. I would love to see film, all the money and time and special effects and stuff put into the movie industry. If we put all that stuff into glorifying God. What a what an amazing tool that would be if if Hollywood was Christian. We could do the most epic movies ever about Paul and and you know all kinds of stuff, you know, in the Bible. It's just amazing that could be done with the with if if Hollywood was behind it. The best use of that is glorifying God. I love it when I see those YouTube videos that are just somebody taking a snippet of a sermon that somebody did and putting some amazing images and some music to it and it glorifies God and you're like, "Wow, it's so emotional and awesome." And what what great talents can be put to that end. But I don't want you to think about it as as ministry necessarily in that sense. I mean, it could be like the Bible talks about the gift of encouragement or or helps or a number of things. My wife is is really skilled at at knowing what people need. You know, she's a really good gift giver because she she remembers what people needs need and what will help them, and she she goes to great lengths to make sure that they get that and things like that. I know people that are encouragers that clearly that is their gift. It is. Uh, awesome to be encouraged by them, and it just flows out of them. That's actually one of the things on this list is to rejoice in the joy of others. So somebody else has, you know, got saved or had a baby or whatever it may be, you are joyful for them. You're not coveting, coveting their their uh, joy. You are you're joying, enjoying it with them. So that's one of the things here on this list. Uh, repentance is on the list. So. What I mean by that is is not feeling bad about your sin, but changing your mind about sin and going a different direction about sin. If there's some things in your life that are sins, just big sins hanging off of you that are just sucking out your joy. It is just a, you know, we all get lied to that, that these sins are what we need and they're good and they make us happy. That is the a lie that could only happen um, because Satan is working very, very hard at it. It is It is not true. Those things that we think are good are actually those things that are killing, stealing, and destroying you. So if you've got something in your life that is just an obvious issue in your life, you need to zero in on that thing. You need to deal with it. You need to repent of it. And you know, I learned this again recently is that if you let something sneak in, 
you know, you, 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 you give something an inch, it will take a, a mile in your life and you'll start thinking about it and it'll start being a problem again. And you don't really want to repent of it. You don't want to change your mind about it and say, okay, that's it. Never again. I've decided that that will never happen again. And once you make that decision is the heart, the hardest place to get to is to making that decision because you know that if you make that decision, um, that God will help you, but you don't really, you don't really want to do it because you kind of want to keep doing it. But if you make that decision and you say, I'm not going to do it anymore, it's almost an instantaneous help that comes from heaven. If you resolve to, and you change your mind about it, you say, I want to be a different kind of person. I want to be a person that can, uh, that people can look at and say, you know, he, he overcame that. I want to be the kind of person who doesn't have to do that or whatever it may be. Uh, now, some issues, depending on what they well, are, they might come back and, and what have you, and you need to do the same process again. You need to resolve to never do it again. It's the resolution of never doing it again that gives you that power over it. But it's really hard to resolve to never do it again if you're still wanting to do it. You've got to, to break the cycle. And so zero in on that. Become a sin assassin in your life, and you will find that you will be freer and freer the more of those things that you can get rid of. So repentance is is one thing that you can do. Forgiveness. This may be for some people that might have bitterness in their life. If you've got bitterness, the Bible says that bitterness defiles you. It's not a good thing to hold on to bitterness. The old joke is is um, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. It is it is really, really not a good thing to do. And it's, it's not saying that whatever they did was okay. It's, it's not saying that you agree with them or anything else. It's just the resolution to forgive them. A lot of times that can, what can help ease the blow of that is, is recognizing that they had a difficult situation probably too. And they're growing up and all the different things that they're probably going through. They're reacting in ways that, uh, results of that and so on. Just try to look at them as, you know, little children that have uh, that were at one point a little big-headed kid running around. Now they're like a torment, tormenting your your situation. But you can forgive them, and that is a powerful tool. It's like a chemical reaction when you can forgive. Also on this list is giving generously will uh, help your joy. You know, it says in the Bible that God loves a cheerful giver. He he doesn't really even want you to give unless you are going to do it cheerfully in the New Testament. I think that it's important for us to give for a few different reasons. I won't go into it now since it's not talking about give give giving or what not in the show, but but you know what I mean. It's it's if you've ever given, whether it's on a small level to to a homeless person that needed something or to somebody that really, really needed it or whatever to help the ministry out in some way your church when you do that you feel good about it it is the gift i think or one of the gifts that god gives us as we give and give generously and not just that with with our time and everything else uh, so that's one of the big points on this list here also i think i mentioned rejoicing in the joy of others and this is one called respond physically to what you don't want to do so you don't want to read the Bible, read the Bible. You don't want to go to home group that night, go to home group. You don't want to go to church, go to church. You don't want to sing while you're worshiping, sing. Just doing those physical things um, that I think a lot of times we, we don't cross that barrier of actually doing them. But once we actually turn, turn it into pragmatism and start doing it, 
the, the it becomes obvious this is this is you know God will honor that I think is what he says. So that's the the list there of what things to do. Now I'm going to list some of the things that will steal your joy. So number one, false conversion. If you're not truly born again, um, you shouldn't really expect this kind of abiding sense of joy and completeness because you're not complete yet. Um, part of that is often a decision to follow Christ, to decide that you're going to be a disciple of his, that you're going to count the cost and, and you're going to follow Jesus Christ. And that's who you're going to be. That's who you're going to be defined by. And you do that. That's an interesting component. You may believe the gospel and you know, may intellectually know that Jesus is the truth and that uh, and the new age is not and and all this other stuff. But unless you've decided to follow Christ, you know, there's a lot of people like that even in the Bible that knew Jesus was who he said he was, but didn't didn't actually do anything about it. Didn't count the cost, didn't want to count the cost. Anyway, so the false conversion certainly could be a part of it, but if it's not, we've got some other ones. Satan and demons. The the real issue of demonic oppression is very, 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 very real. And depression can be any number of things. It can be as simple as you need to take some vitamins. <laughs> you need to start eating right. Uh, like I talked about recently, the sugar and wheat thing, that, that might help. But really, it could be as simple as something physical, getting some sleep. And sometimes it can be uh, any host of other circumstantial reasons and stuff like that. And occasionally, in some cases of depression, not all, but some, it is almost entirely demonic, or at least partly demonic. That is, that they are putting ideas of suicide into your head and any number of things. Of course, there would be no joy in that situation. So they, they're preventing you from getting anywhere close to joy. Now, this can happen in the Christian life as well. There can be oppression and different things like that, but it certainly is, is uh, more common. In, and in, there's nothing wrong with you necessarily, but I do think that if you are a Christian and you're experiencing extreme demonic joy, you really need to know how to begin to fight it. Jesus in, in Luke 10 has given us the, the message that he doesn't want us to have to deal with demonic stuff. We're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff in our lives. He doesn't want demons to be a part of that. One of the benefits you get as soon as you walk into the door of, of being a Christian, one of the first things you get is a card that says, Authority over all snakes and scorpions, nothing shall by any means harm you in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. So you have authority over them. And the problem is, I think, that we don't sometimes know that we have it and that we don't use it if we know that we do it. So does it mean that you run around stomping, rebuking demons every five seconds? Well, maybe if that's what you need to do. Uh, it certainly couldn't hurt if you if you thought that it might be an issue if you're dealing with severe depression and you go into your room and you close the door and you rebuke them, send them to the abyss like they didn't want to go in Mark chapter 5. You send them you know, away in, in Jesus' name and with the authority that Christ has given us, just saying nothing more than really what I just said or quoting Revelation 20 and their ultimate destruction or whatever. Just praise God and pray against them. Try it. Just try it. Don't come out of your room for 15 minutes and see if you feel better. It could be demonic. So that's one. Um, 
not understanding God's sovereignty is on the list, which says he is in total control. I suppose the idea here would be that in Job's situation of extreme suffering, there's a lot of us that are going through an intense amount of difficult situations in their lives. And what a downward spiral it can be if you don't know that uh, God's in control. Or if you've you think or have bought the lie that Satan always tries, which is that God is forgotten about you, he's mad at you, he's doing this because he hates you, or whatever version of that that he's got going, then it can turn into a just terrible, terrible downward spiral. But God doesn't do anything without knowing what he's doing. Nothing happens without God knowing about it. And it says that in the Bible that he doesn't give us any temptations that we cannot bear. If you're dealing with that kind of stuff, you're the type of person that can handle it. Other people might not be able to, but you can. And what I want to say is that there is there is a reason where you can come out of this and get whatever you're supposed to get out of it. It may be that you're supposed to be, as Romans 8, uh, 9, and so on says, that you need to... You're being conformed to the image of Christ. You may be being humbled like Nebuchadnezzar in, in, in Daniel chapter 4. He was a man who was the king of the world. It was very, very difficult for him to get to a place where he could honor God because he had so much. Maybe God has done you the best gift he ever has by taking away your your house and your bank account and everything else. That's the most benevolent thing he could do to a person who would never would never flee from the wrath to come on their own. It could be conforming you to the image of Christ to make you be a better witness to people to that have gone through similar things. But And not everybody that goes through these sufferings becomes conformed to the image of Christ. Some turn bitter. Don't turn bitter. Um, I talked about this in, in the idea of the fiery furnace in the recent Daniel chapter 3 uh, verse-by-verse uh, study that I did. I'll go into that in more detail, so I'll just move on. Prayerlessness. Not going to the Lord in prayer. Well, this is one of those big ones, you know, the answer, Christian answer to everything. Oh, you're praying, pray and read the Bible, brother. That's what the answer to your problem is. And they got a point. God wants to go through your life with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to hear from you. And I think it's it's something that I, I don't know. It's something that I think that I certainly have struggle, struggle with too. I know that I need to pray more. But I know that when I am in the right place with prayer, especially talking about prayer and as in talking to God about the things that are on my heart that that I most would like to say to a genuine, loving, caring, all-powerful father, counselor, a person that I can go to with everything, that's when I think I feel the closest and best use of prayer not the slot machine in the sky version. That that doesn't really bring me the kind of joy that I think this is about, but rather the communion with God in your struggles and trials. If you're having trouble or, or you don't desire him, talk to him about that. You know? So so lack of lack of prayer is one. Also a low after a spiritual high, Monday after Sunday. Not sure where he's going with that. Circumstantial orientation. Your circumstances dictate your joy. Talked a little bit about that. Ingratitude. Not being thankful. 
this is a good one. I think I've uh, mentioned before that I think thankfulness or an attitude of thankfulness is one of the chief things that dramatically reorient your disposition. You, if you are a person who is thankful for the smallest things in your life, um, then you can be uh, you can be uh, a lot a lot more joyful of a person. And I find that when we have the least is when we're the thankful most th- thankful. Um, right now, sort of a difficult time, and, and and when we are able to do the basic stuff, or when you know even the smallest uh, donation comes in. Sometimes you know a five or ten dollar donation comes in, and I'm like, ah, oh, five or ten dollar donation, that's nice, and I don't think anything of it. But if you are in a situation where every little bit counts, you're like, oh, praise the Lord, you know. Uh, so it's it's. And I remember one of my lowest times right after I quit drinking and I was living in a van down, not but down by the river, but just a van and, and didn't have any money, but I was trying to get on the right track and everything. Even the smallest bit of food and things like that was just such a cause for joy and thankfulness, probably tied into joy as it tied into the thankfulness. So try to be like the old Testament uh, saints who were so thankful to God for the for the things that they had and, and try to make it a habit so that when you can when you are in times of of feast that you can be thankful in those two that's the goal i'd like to hit is that i don't have to consistently be humbled so i can get back to the place where i need god and 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 am thankful for every little thing that he gives so anyway i think thankfulness is very very important forgetfulness, forgetting what Christ has saved you from. Uh, this is a good one. I think this one is a good one that was recently talked about on the Revelations Radio Network weekly podcast, which was called, it was the first in the series, and it talks about joy in the gospel, joy from freedom from the wrath to come, and and all the different things. Really great first part of that sermon. I, I really liked that sermon, if you get a chance to check it out. Uh, what is it called here? It is called Series on Joy, Part 1, Search for Joy in the Gospel. Also, um, dissatisfaction with your earthly condition, what you have, where you live, how you look. Now, this is one that I, I think is is unfortunate that people that are Christians still go through dissatisfied with their job or their station in life and so on. That's it's really, really far from what the New Testament describes. You know, in, I believe it's First Timothy that says, To Timothy, having food and clothing, let us be therewith content. It's just food and clothing. Everything else is a bonus for us. And if everything else is a bonus, then then you can be a lot more thankful and joyful when you have those things. If we don't expect all this other stuff, then when we don't have it, uh, as it says in the rest of that passage, those, you know, woe to those that have riches for they're pierced through with many sorrows. And so anyways, I think that the idea that we were supposed to be somewhere in life or our position or whatever, just make sure that's not like somebody else's dream. Is that your dad or mom's or grandfather or grandmother's dream that you're trying to live up to, to impress somebody or whatever? Because in Christ, in the New Testament, there's no, that's not a, that's not a possibility. There's no room for lamenting about you not being some, uh, you know, having some 
thing or whatever. And sometimes I admit it could be like a a spouse that that you want to make happy or or something like that. It could be any number of things, but it shouldn't necessarily be your heart. You shouldn't. And if it is your heart, then I would say repeat steps one through uh, whatever we're on now. Here is one. Number 10 is fear of the future. The what if syndrome. This is appropriate to those that might listen to the show that have a fear of, you know, the coming financial collapse or food shortages or the new world order kicking down their door, all those kinds of things. And those people that ha are having their joy significantly diminished by those kinds of problems. I want you to know that it's normal for the first one or two years of waking up. If you're if you're kind of new to this whole thing of the New World Order or whatever we want to call it, it's pretty normal for you to kind of spiral down the hole, the rabbit hole as it is, is called sometimes, and you you have to go learn and seek out the truth. And that's good because you got to rebuild your paradigm and hopefully you're finding good material from which to rebuild that paradigm and you're not rebuilding it in the new age. But for those of you that are new to that stuff, I want you to know that it's normal. And it may, like all of us, when we were going through that, there was a sense of like, oh, this is all happening tomorrow. And, you know, the New World Order is monitoring me and they're going to come and take me to a concentration camp any minute. And I think that in one sense, I guess what I want you to know is that you are not alone. That's a normal thing. But the other thing is that it shouldn't be a consistent thing. If you are growing in the Lord, you should be growing away from this fear of the coming doom, apocalypse, New World Order, camps, whatever. You should be growing away from that. Um, in the same way, you don't see fear on, on the minds of the people in the New Testament in the book of Acts. That's not, their, their minds are not even close to that. If you're truly on fire, you know, being the, the fullness of who you can be, and that's what this whole thing is about, and that's what I want to talk about later, is, is if we are being the complete us in the Lord, then fear isn't a part of that, you know, as it says... In 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I guess what I want to say to those people and to all of us is that um, we don't need to be fear fearful of this, this coming whatever. And I've said a lot of times in this show that what we need to be is ready to help and ready to die if necessary, but so focused on a different goal that it's almost inconsequential what's happening to the world. What I think is going to happen to everyone is going to happen in large part to the world. It's going to happen to people that don't have God and don't have anybody to turn to. We are the ones that have a God that can do anything, though here in America... We don't really believe it yet, but we will, especially if we if we ever need him. Um, we will find out that he is the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he hasn't gone anywhere, and that he still parts Red Seas and everything else. But it's going to take us to really uh, be in a position to need him before, unfortunately, we figure that out. And I think in a lot of ways, we as Americans and Westerners, wherever you're listening to this, we are so... I don't want to belittle us too much but because of our culture 
we are at a severe disadvantage for joy because we are not seeking discipleship and not seeking Christ as we should because we have so many other options. We have so many options for needing him. We can write a check instead of pray for so many different things. And we can do, uh, we have so many distractions and movies we can watch and everything else that we that we have a lot of reasons not to seek him and read the Bible and so on and so forth. So so hopefully, in, in a sense, I guess I look at times of trouble as a time for us to get back to what really will make us happy. The next few I'll go through pretty quickly, just because I'm running out of time here, is morbid self-analysis. No, excuse me, this one is, you live by uncontrolled feelings. You don't take captive your thought life. How many of us are are not taking captive our thoughts, whether they are lustful thoughts or whatever, we are letting them run rampant. We haven't put any any restrictions on them. That is a terrible thing. I remember when I had no restrictions on what I would and wouldn't think about. And I look back and lament at the the hole that it created in my heart when I when I would just look and and think of anything that I wanted to with no restrictions. It was a terrible way to live and, and yielded extremely bad fruit in my life. So self-control in regard to your thought life, uh, as it says there, to take every thought captive. And so that certainly is a good uh, piece of advice there. Morbid self-analysis, self-centered, continual focus on your faults. That certainly could be an issue for some of you. Self-centered when it's all about you and your needs and guilt, unwilling to forgive yourself even though God has. For those people that have a lot of guilt, I know that that can be a very, very big obstacle to your joy. And for you, I would submit that a true understanding of the gospel, like don't rest until you really understand what is meant by the phrase, if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. You know, I have a lot of, a big passion of mine is for people to really understand the gospel because it's not easy. It's not Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's, it's, I mean, that, that is it, but it's, it's, it's so potentially you could study it for the rest of your life. It's complicated, but simple. And you can understand it if you're a child, but you can, you could wax philosophical about it. If you are a, a, a professor of theology, it's just a very deep subject. And I would encourage people to check that out. I did a, if you go to the website, chriswhiteministries.com, I don't really mention that site too much, but it doesn't have that much on it. Um, but it does have my teachings from Africa and there's one, if you look under the tab, Africa Teachings, it's called Evangelism 2. Evangelism 2. There is a audio uh, there. I think I've played it on this podcast perhaps in the past as well. But it's the second session of evangelism that goes through detailed information about the gospel. Also on that site or my main site, you will see a section called The Gospel where it has about uh, 10 or so videos that I've specifically chosen so that people can understand the gospel better. I think they should watch all of those videos if this is something that you, you have. There's great books on grace um, that are out there. I just uh, got one from David Guzik called uh, Standing Standing in Grace. And there are others that are that are out there about that. But I, I recently posted a on Facebook a great 
a great uh, I'll just play that at the end of this podcast uh, something from uh, Matt Chandler who who has a really good point about uh, Romans passage and justification so guilt is something that you can beat yourself up about but you have to realize that God is no longer looking at you with your ups and downs he is looking at Christ and we are in Christ we are hidden in Christ we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We can approach boldly to the throne regardless of what it's been. We need to forgive ourselves. And I want you to seek doctrinal understanding about that. Not touchy-feely um, kind of you know counseling about it. I think doctrine is the way out of that one. Because you can't fully understand the gospel and have that be a problem anymore. I always talk about the book of Galatians with David Guzik. That changed my life forever going through uh, david guzik's galatians verse by verse study just put it on your mp3 player take all the other stuff off for a few weeks or whatever it takes you a week or whatnot and go through the galatians study with david guzik understand what galatians is talking about understand what the gospel is about okay wrapping up here i wanted to talk about what i think the issue is about more or less and i think it's about the discipleship the fellowship of Christ is the answer, whether you're saved or unsaved. If you have no joy but want it, if you're not sold out but you want to be sold out for Christ, how do you do it? I think it's. I think that we're all, all having an identity crisis. I think that what a disciple is, according to the Bible, is, is a Greek word. It's called a methetes. It means it means literally a learner. But the Bible always talks about it as being a follower. You are a follower of Christ. So the Greek word, methetes, used to be used of people like Socrates. If you were going to be a follower of Socrates or some other philosopher or whatever, you would go follow him around and you would learn from him and you would try to be like him. What I'm trying to say here is I think that we need to have our identity be in following Christ. Like, who, what are you? What? My name is Chris. What do you do? Like, I'm a follower of Christ. I like learn about this guy, and I, I try to figure out what he's like, and I'm really interested in him and all things about him, and, and I'm trying to 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 learn about him, and I want to be like him, and that's what I am. I'm a follower of Christ. Why are you reading that Bible? Because I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to be a follower of Christ. If you were, you know, we could all get into it if we were a follower of Socrates. If Socrates was rocking around and he was like soliciting methetases. I don't know if that's a plural in Greek or whatever, but you know what I mean? If he was saying, you know, if anybody wants to be my follower, you know, show up at this such and such a time and bring a thousand dollars and whatever. Then if you did that and you got into the program and everything, you would be like, Hey, I'm a, what are you? I'm a follower of Socrates. I follow him around and try to learn what he's doing and what everything else. You'd be a follower of Socrates and you'd be proud of it. If we were a methetes, if we are, our identity was in the followership of Christ. And here's the catch though that a lot of people ask to be followers of Christ in the Bible. Lord, we will follow you wherever you go. And he says stuff like, uh, he says a number of things to, to them. There's In fact, there's at least four instances recorded in the Bible of people saying, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus says, no. One guy tells him that, you know, I don't have any place to lay my head. You know, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another person said, I will follow you, but let me go first bury my father and he says you know let the dead bury your dead but you come preach the gospel he says to another person you know what i'm getting the point he says a person who has his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of god jesus wants us to as he says count the cost it may for, for following him he's like 
if you want to be a disciple, if you want your identity to be in a discipleship of him, looking through the Bible, whether it's Leviticus or the book of John, for the purpose of discovering who he is and following him. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying, look, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you do not know who I am? If you've seen me, that you've seen the Father. He is the expressed personality of God in, in human flesh. We can learn about God. The purpose of life is to know God, is to know him better and better. Following Christ is the door to that. It's the God-ordained way for us to achieve that. If we are not following Christ with all our heart, we should not expect all those things that come with that. That's the answer to this. That's Jesus's answer to this. John fifteen eleven says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may remain full. It is his desire for you that your joy is full, not half full, full. He desires not only that, but his joy may remain in you. This is the passage in John fifteen seven that starts out, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So we need to abide in him and his words need to abide in us. He also talks about bearing fruit. This kind of corresponds with what we were saying, doing what you, uh, what, what, what you need to, what you are called to do. Bearing fruit is a part of these things that I've spoken to you so that your joy may remain full. So abiding in him, in him having his words abide in you. Uh, bearing fruit, and I know that doesn't mean handing out tracts or, or doing something that's burdening, burdening you. If you're bearing fruit the way that you are intended to, it will not feel like a burden. It will feel like an expression of purpose in your life and will be an agent of joy. Okay, I hope this helps. I'm going to continue my uh, uh, study on joy, and I'm going to play whatever I find that's helpful on the Revelations Radio Network weekly podcast. You can find that podcast on the, on iTunes separately, but it uh, it mostly just plays on the Revelations Radio Network feed as well. Thanks for everyone to everyone for listening, and we'll see you hopefully very soon. Bye-bye. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The word justified means that you and I stand before God acceptable, spotless, pure, and without sin. That God looks at us and says, there is no sin in that man. There is no sin in that woman. That he looks at us and we are now just in his sight. So all the blasphemy that we've done by choosing stuff over God, all the blasphemy that we've lived in by saying my way is better than God, all the blatant sin of saying creation is better than God is removed and God sees us as just. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. This is great news. Nothing about your effort in that text at all. Nothing about your might, your religious stamina, your morality, your cleaning yourself up. You have been justified by an act of God. Bottom line, you have not earned right standing in front of God by your effort or your cleaning up of your life. We have been made pure standing blameless in front of God 
not because of any kind of religious or moral pursuit, but because Christ died. And in his death, he absorbed all of God's wrath for you and I. And that's why the Bible says that for the children of God, we are not appointed to suffer wrath. Because the wrath bestowed upon you and I was absorbed by Christ's death. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.